Father. We want to experience what you talk about here. We want to be saved. We want to experience walking in the light. We want to experience eternal life. And so, Jesus, would you enable us to see and to believe? God, I pray that you would anoint these words, that you would, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh as I preach these words, that you, Holy Spirit, would be with each and every person here to open up our ears, to open up our eyes, that we might hear you, that we might see you, open up our hearts, soften our hearts towards you, God. Now, we need you, Jesus. Would we see you this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we, as we begin this new year, I've got a question for you, and, and the question is really just simple. It's what are you believing in? There's, there's all kinds of options about things you can believe in. You can, you can believe in politics. You can, you can believe in a vaccine. You can believe in all kinds of things. You can believe in what you see around you, but it's critically important to answer the question, what do you believe in? You know, if I wake up suddenly in the middle of the night, and this has happened at times, I don't know if this has happened to you, but at times I've woken up in the middle of the night thinking I've heard a noise. You ever had that happen to you? You wake up, you hear this loud noise, or maybe it's in your dream, and you're not sure if it's reality or not, and so you wake up, and all of a sudden, you're jacked up, and, and like there's no hope of you going back to sleep again, because you hear this noise, and you, your, your body begins to respond to that belief. Your, your pulse begins to increase. Your heart begins to race. Your, your body begins to produce adrenaline, and you know, I jump out of bed and immediately respond, and, and, and I've had so many of those times where I get up, and I'm, I'm like, I'm out of bed, and I'm, I'm responding, and I'm, I'm checking out every room in the house, and I'm going around, and, and there's not going to be any hope that I'm ever going back to sleep again. Because what I believe I heard, or what I believed, it's, it's responded, it, it's, it's created a response in me. If I'm thinking anxious thoughts, if I'm dwelling on something bad, that it affects you, it affects me, it affects our behavior. I read a recent study from, from researchers from Penn State. They were studying people who suffer from, from general anxiety problems. And so they were trying to figure out what, what in the world is the cause of anxiety and, and is the cause of anxiety, is it actually come to fruition? And so they had everybody who was in this study, they wrote down um, four times a day the things they were anxious about. And at the end of the study, they, they examined each of those things they were anxious about and, and they saw that, that 91% of the time, those things they were anxious about did not come true. And, and that for that small percentage, the 8% of times that it did come true, um, only a quarter of those were as bad as they really thought. But the problem was is that the things they believed really affected them. It affected how they thought. It affected how they approached life. It affected what they did. Because what we believe, it inherently affects us. It, it affects our attitude. It affects our behavior. It affects our actions. It's revealed in our behavior. It's revealed in our attitude. It's revealed in our actions. So what do you believe? Or more importantly, who are you believing? Who are you believing? Are you believing in yourself? You know, in this kind of new year, we have, we have a time, tendency to make resolutions and say, we don't, oh, this year, I'm going to be different. You know, I shy away now from New Year's resolutions because I realize, wait a minute, I, 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 I'll probably be better off just taking one step at a time, trying to make one change at a time, and be consistent in that. But often we're like, oh, I need to believe in myself. And so the, the thing we find, though, is belief in ourselves. often it falters. Or do you believe in other people? Are you, is your hope in someone else or is your hope in something? What we believe, it really matters. What we believe about Jesus matters the most. 
Belief about Jesus is the one thing that matters most for us in this new year. Where is our hope? Where, where is our belief? And are we believing in ourselves or are we believing in Jesus? Are we choosing to believe in ourselves, our circumstances, situations around us? Or are we choosing to believe in who Jesus is and what he says is true? He's the one, he says, he's the light. He's the truth, the only one who can truly help you and the only one in who your hope is. So think for a moment what your fears are, what your worries are, and then ask yourself, who am I believing? What am I believing? For the Jewish crowds that they once followed Jesus, we see that they have now turned away from believing in Jesus because he was not what they were hoping for. They were believing in something wrong and believing in the wrong kind of Messiah. They chose to reject him. And and we see the results of that, or that Jesus tells us in this passage, they remain in darkness because their unbelief has a consequence. Their unbelief has a consequence. Not believing in Jesus, the consequence of that is, is remaining in darkness. What this passage reveals to us is that who we believe makes all the difference now and for eternity. Who we believe who we believe in makes all the difference both now and for eternity. And so right away this passage, it opens up with something that, that for us we think, well, why is, it, why is John spending any time on this at all? Because he spent some time focusing on the unbelief of the Jews and explaining the unbelief of the Jews. And you think, well, I'm not really struggling with that. I'm not a Jew. But you see, in the first century, they would have struggled with that. They would have struggled with the idea of if God's people are the people of Israel, and the people of Israel don't believe in Jesus, who God says is the Messiah, then has God's promise failed? Is God not able to bring about His plan? Is not God not able to bring about His purposes? Is, is Jesus truly Messiah? If God's special chosen people didn't believe in Jesus, then it called into question for many in that day the legitimacy of Jesus as the Messiah. And so John He addresses that, and he explains why there was unbelief and and why the Jews did not believe in Jesus. And the the first reality John wants us to understand about who we believe is that that unbelief in Jesus, it's a refusal, it's a refusal to see that results in judgment of blind eyes and hard hearts. It's a refusal to see that results in judgment judgment of blind eyes and hard hearts. John's already explained, he see that people, they rejected Jesus because they feared coming into light lest their deeds be exposed. That's, that's one of the reasons why people don't believe, it's because they don't want how bad they are to really be seen, and so they reject Jesus. They don't come into the light because they want their deeds to be exposed. And so he's, he's also explained the high cost of following Jesus, another reason why people don't believe, because it's too much. It requires too much of them. And now John says two more, gives two more reasons for unbelief. And, and the first reason is that because they refuse to believe, God's hardened their hearts. God's made their unbelief sure by blinding their eyes, by, by hardening their hearts so they would not believe. And that's a scary thing. Now, now that should give pause to each and every one of us here. If you are struggling with unbelief, be careful. Don't give in to unbelief. There are consequences to unbelief. One reason they didn't believe was that because of their refusal to believe, God made their unbelief certain by blinding their eyes and hardening their hearts. 
Now, at the same time, you need to understand that John is, he is never saying that there's not human responsibility. In, in his entire gospel, it's all about so that we may believe, so we might respond, we might repent and believe, put our hope in Jesus. And, and so there is acknowledgement that human responsibility is something that, that we must take, that we must believe. And so as he's writing this, he's, he's not removing human responsibility, but he does explain that their unbelief, it is actually a part of the divine purposes of God. Now, you might be wondering, well, wait a minute, why is he explaining this? Because, because some might think that if, if God's people don't believe, then God is not able to carry out his purposes of salvation. And that's what people were struggling with that day, that if, if some people didn't believe, if God's people didn't believe then maybe God's not able to truly save. Maybe he's not truly sovereign. Maybe he really can't carry out his purposes. And so John explains why. He says, no, the people, they saw the signs. He says, look, look down in, in verse 37. It says, though he had done, speaking of Jesus, though he had done many signs before them, they still did not believe. Now, now take a step back. Maybe, maybe you've not read the book of John before. Or maybe you've just kind of come in the middle of our study. But, but John has already given us so many reasons to believe. He, he's given us so many reasons to believe. And he calls these miracles that Jesus did signs. He calls them signs because they are signs attesting to who Jesus is. It's a sign. This miracle, it's, it's like writing a sign up that says, this is Jesus. See what he's done. Because these signs, these miracles Jesus did attested to who he was and who he is, to his authority and, and, and there's something that's really incredible in the Gospel of John. No one really finally contests the signs that Jesus did. No, no one says, hey, these signs aren't true. We're going to prove you wrong. And, and no one brings up any proof that, that what Jesus did was not true, which makes it all the more shocking that they didn't believe. You see, it was uncontested that Jesus did what God alone can do. I want that to, to sink in for you. Jesus, this is, this is eyewitness testimony we have, the book of John is, as well as the gospel of Matthew and Mark and Luke. These are, these are all eyewitness testimonies of the acts of Jesus, of what Jesus did, the signs that he carried out, things that only God could do. He healed the sick. He healed all who came to him. He created food. He fed thousands upon thousands. He made the lame to walk. He made the blind to see. He made the deaf to hear. He made the mute to speak. He, he made the leprous whole. He cast out demons. He walked on water. He healed incurable diseases of all types that no physician could heal. That's who Jesus is. These are all signs of the fact that he truly is the Son of God. He's no mere man. Don't accept the lie that says Jesus was just a good person, that he was a, just a good prophet. No, that's to deny the truth of the signs of Jesus. He raised the dead to life. The fact is, Jesus did all these miracles, all these signs, as John refers to him, in front of countless witnesses. Not just, not just the disciples, not just the apostles, but thousands and thousands and thousands of people saw these signs. They witnessed, they gave testimony and evidence, and, and this evidence would have held up in any court of law, by the way. It was not contested. That's the shocking thing, is that even his most ardent enemies and detractors in the book of John, they don't say, you didn't really do those things. No, they see the things he did and they ignore them. They didn't dispute the fact that he did those things. They didn't even dispute the fact that he raised Lazarus from the dead. 
But they still, here's the shocking thing John writes, but they still didn't believe in Jesus. How about you? you, you you've heard of the signs if you've read the Gospels, if you've been in, in this church for any, any number of weeks. You've heard of the things that Jesus did. Will you choose to believe in who he is and what they reveal about him? They still didn't believe in Jesus, the Son of God. They refused to believe because they were seeking their own Messiah on their own terms. And that's so often the reason why people don't believe today. They seek their own Messiah on their own terms. Jesus, I, I'll believe in you if you give me what I, what I want. If you make my life prosperous. And so when people experience hardship or poverty, they say, well, God must not love me. I'm not going to believe in Jesus. Or maybe people believe and they think, oh, God, I'm going to believe in you and I believe that you're going to keep me completely healthy and I'll never get sick. And, and so when they do get sick, they say, well, I'm, I'm rejecting God because he's not the kind of God I want because he allows sickness. Or God, I, I'm going I'm to believe in you, Jesus, if, if you make my life free from all suffering. And then when they experience suffering, like, by the way, Jesus, the Son of God did, they reject Jesus because he's not the kind of Messiah that they want. And yet, the very people of Israel, they refused to believe. And so John explains how this could be the case. You know, weren't they, weren't they God's people? He explains their unbelief, and he quotes from Isaiah 53. Look down your Bibles in, in verse 38. It says, so that the words spoken by the prophet, and by the way, don't, don't skip over the so that, okay? It says they didn't believe. So that the words of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. So their unbelief was actually a fulfillment. It was so that the words that God had given to Isaiah long before might be fulfilled in them. So their own unbelief resulted in the fulfillment of prophecy. It was all part of God's plan. It says, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And, and you think about this, this. Isaiah is asking a rhetorical question. Who's, who's believed it? Nobody, nobody's believing us. Nobody's believed. And it's all the more meaningful of a prophetic word when you realize it comes at the beginning of Isaiah 53. This is the famous prophecy about the Messiah. Isaiah 53, the whole, in, in context, it says, who has believed what they heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he... Speaking of the Messiah prophetically, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty we should look on him and no beauty we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. John explains this is the reason why the Jews persisted in unbelief. It was, it was fulfillment of God's purposes in, his, in that God had given them over to the hardening of their hearts and blinding of their eyes. And he goes on to emphasize the sovereignty of God by quoting in verse, in verse 40, he's quoting here from Isaiah 6. In Isaiah 6, it's a passage where Isaiah has seen the glory of God. Now, not just God the Father, but God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's seen the glory of God high and lifted up on his throne. And Isaiah is completely changed. He's completely undone. He realizes how unclean he is, how unholy he is, how unglorious he is. And he sees the glory of God, and he responds to God. And he says, God, I... I want to be your mouthpiece. I confess that I'm a man of unclean lips, and here am I, send me. And so God says, I'm going to send you, but here's the thing. And then he quotes, John quotes this part of Isaiah 6 when God says, I'm going to send you, 
but they're not going to see. He says, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. So unbelief was actually a part of the plan to begin with, that, that, that God would give them over to their unbelief. He would give them over to the hardness of their own hearts. As, as they refuse the Messiah, they refuse to see who Jesus is, they refuse God's plan that God would give them over, that is part of the judgment of unbelief. I should give pause to everyone here. If you're saying, you know, it's not a big deal that I persist in unbelief. It is a big deal. God gives people who persist in unbelief over to blind eyes and hard hearts. The Apostle Paul explains the same kind of thing when he is talking about the trajectory of those who go further and further into sin, further and further away from God. In Romans 1.25, he says, because they exchanged the truth about God. They chose instead of believing the truth about God that they can see that's, that's visible in all creation, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. It's a, it's a frightful thing to, to choose to believe a lie, to, to exchange the truth of God for a lie. Because God gives people up to dishonorable passions. He gives them over. And look in, in verse 28 of Romans 1, it says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So there's a progression of, as people refuse to believe in Jesus, they refuse to believe in God, God gives them over. He hardens their hearts. He blinds their eyes. And so because they closed their hearts and closed their eyes, they were blinded and hardened by God. And so John explains that, what happens in human unbelief. But he also explains that it doesn't thwart God's purposes. It was a part of his purpose. And the result, really, of unbelief was, was the fact that the gospel was spread to the Gentiles. That the result of, of many of God's people not believing was that then the gospel was taken to the Gentiles, and, and many more have believed since. And he goes on again to explain another reason for belief. The first reason for unbelief is that they've given themselves over and now God has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. And so that, that unbelief is not aside from God's purposes and plans. And in fact, God uses that for his purposes and his plans. It doesn't thwart his purposes. But unbelief, it's also often a matter of who we fear and whose glory we seek. Unbelief in Jesus is also a matter, John's telling us, of, of who we fear and whose glory we seek. Look down at verse 42. He says, nevertheless, many, even the authorities, believed in him. Now, this is a superficial belief, right? Because we see it says, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. Many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees. What were they doing? They were, they were fearing what people thought. They were fearing the opinion of the rulers. They were, they were fearing what people thought of them. So they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love, look in verse 43, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. You know, maybe, maybe some at the time, like Nicodemus or maybe Joseph of Arathemia, had believed, but yet were not professing that. They were seeking the honor or glory that comes from men rather than the glory that comes from God. They are more interested in protecting their glory than acknowledging the glory of Jesus the Messiah. They loved receiving glory from men more than they loved receiving the glory that comes from God 
from believing in Jesus. And so because they, they love their own glory and, and they, they didn't give glory to Jesus, they would not receive any glory from God is what he tells us. And the reason for their unbelief is no different from people today, right? The reason people today refuse to believe in Jesus is, is because they are fearing what other people think about them. What will my family think about me? What will, what will my friends think about me? What will, what will my coworkers think about me? What will my boss think about me? Will I, will I get fired? I'm fearing other people keeps us from belief in Jesus. Many seek the approval of glory of their fellow humans more than they seek to be honored by God. The cause for Jews in that day was being put out of the synagogue. Now, to be put out of the synagogue would have meant that you'd be ostracized from polite society, that, that, that you would not be acceptable, that you'd be frowned upon, that you'd be seen as less than, that you'd be seen as a reject, as someone who was aberrant, social outcast, cast out from your fellow Jews, considered socially unacceptable. They may have lost their ability to conduct business. The cost of following Jesus today is no less than what they experienced then. You might be considered socially unacceptable if you confess your belief in Jesus. You might lose your influence with your friends. You might lose your ability to be employed. You might lose your job if you confess Jesus and you make it well known. The question is, are, are, you, are you believing or is it a superficial belief? Are you confessing Jesus or are you afraid to confess him? If so, that's not true belief. All those who expect Jesus to recognize them, to honor them, to for the Father to give them glory on the judgment day, Jesus expects to not only believe but to confess his name now before a watching world. That's what belief looks like. A belief looks like action in confessing Jesus and professing him and, and making his name known, making his glory known. I like the way Bruce Milne puts it. He says, there's no such thing as a secret disciple. There's no such thing as a secret disciple. Following Jesus looks like seeking the glory or honor that comes from God rather than the glory or honor that comes from men. Well, in addition to unbelief leading to hardening and blindness and, and unbelief being a result of fearing people and seeking the glory that comes from other people, John makes it clear that unbelief is going to result in something. It's going to result in final judgment. Look down in verse 47. He says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The words that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. What Jesus is saying is that his whole purpose in coming was not to judge people, but the fact is, if you don't respond to his words, you will be judged by his words in the final day. You will be judged by what you did with the words of Jesus. Whether or not you truly believed in him, whether or not you placed your faith in his words, will judge you. If you reject his words, if you don't accept his words that his signs bore testimony to, you'll be judged by what you did with his words on the last day. If, like some of the Jewish leaders, you hear Jesus' words and believe them, but do not confess them because you fear rejection or fear losing your place or your position or reputation, then you're not keeping Jesus' words. If you hear Jesus' words and believe in them, but don't confess them because you want the approval of men, you're not keeping Jesus' words. If you're merely superficially believing, you bring judgment on yourself, and you only have yourself to blame. In the end, the final throne of judgment, what Jesus said will be proven to be true. His words will stand as your judge. 
And Jesus says, why? He says in verse 49, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. The reason why you can be sure that you'll be judged by the words of Jesus because Jesus speaks with the very words of God is what he's telling us. But that's not all that Jesus told the crowds, is it? It's not that all that he talked about. He wasn't just talking about John, wasn't just talking about unbelief. You see, in, in the face of unbelief, Jesus did something. Look down your Bibles. In the face of unbelief, Jesus did something. Look at look in verse 44. Look at what Jesus did in verse 44. He, he cried out. He cried out. There's this kind of, the sense of this kind of gut-wrenching, heart-rending cry because Jesus was passionate that people would believe. And he was passionate that people would believe because belief in Jesus, it results in light and salvation and eternal life. That's the final thing we're looking at is that belief in Jesus, it results in something. It results in light, in salvation, and eternal life. You feel like you're going through a dark time right now, turn to Jesus. If you feel like, hey, there's no hope for me, turn to Jesus and be saved. See the light, see salvation, and, and, and hope not just in this life, but in the life to come. Jesus cries out. He says, whoever believes, here's the good news. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. If you're placing your faith in Jesus, it's not just faith in Jesus as a man. This is faith in Jesus as the Son of God and faith in God himself, the one who sent Jesus. And Jesus, he here, he's not cold, he's not unfeeling. He cares about unbelief, and he wants people to experience hope. He wants people to experience life. He wants people to walk in light, not be stuck in darkness. Maybe you feel like you're stuck, stuck in darkness. You're stuck in hopelessness. You're stuck spinning your wheels. Jesus says, whoever believes in me doesn't just believe in me. He believes in God. And whoever sees me sees whom has sent me, sees God himself. And then he explains why he's come into the world. He says, I, and first looking at my Bibles in verse 46, I've come into the world as light. If you're believing in Jesus, you're believing in the light. He's going to show the way you should go. He is the light of the world. He is light. And it results in something. It says, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. You don't have to remain mired in your sin. You don't have to remain mired in your dark ways of thinking, stuck in the same old patterns you've been stuck in, stuck in the same old habits you've been stuck in. Um, where you receive Jesus, receive him as the light and you believe in him, you, you will not remain in darkness. All of mankind is, is, in, is in darkness all naturally, belonging to the kingdom of darkness and under its rule. But when Jesus came, he came as the light to show the way to live pleasing to God. He came as the light to reveal who he is. He came as the light to reveal who God is. He came as the light to reveal that fact that, that if we believe in him, we don't walk in darkness and we won't remain there. And he spoke these words as God himself spoke. He says in verse 50, I know this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. What he's saying is that he's come and he's come to give life. If you believe in Jesus, you'll have eternal life. You'll be saved. You'll walk in the light, not remain in darkness. That's our hope. The only question remains is whether we believe in Jesus and keep regard his words to ourselves because who we believe in matters. Who we believe in makes all the difference now and for all eternity. The question is, will we humble ourselves? Will we admit we need Jesus to rescue us? Will we admit that we, 
We need him as light so that we will not remain in darkness. When we confess where we sought the approval of people instead of seeking the approval of God found only by trusting in Jesus' life, in his death, in his resurrection for us. We'll repent of seeking our own glory or will we seek to find the glory that comes from trusting in Jesus. And God says, well done, good and faithful servant who's trusted in Jesus, the only acceptable one. This morning we've got an opportunity to start off the new year right. Not, not by making all these resolutions, but by choosing to make one resolution that, that we will believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus anew. And so we're going to receive communion today as we close. If you didn't get a communion cup, um, if you could raise your hand if you didn't get a communion cup, and we'll have the ushers sanitize their hands and get you a cup. Um, excellent. So take your communion cups, if you will, and you can prepare them if you want by taking off the top layer there. It's this little thin layer of plastic. And if you're home, go ahead and get your bread or cracker, whatever you have ready. In, in 1 Corinthians 11, the apostle Paul he communicates what he received from God. And he said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. This is my body, which is for you. Those are the words of Jesus. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so as we... Take this wafer, we're saying that we remember and we're choosing to believe in Jesus and his body given for us. We're choosing to believe afresh that we cannot be acceptable before God on our own, that, that, that no amount of merit, no amount of effort can make us acceptable to God, and we needed Jesus to come and to live a perfect life in our place, and we're remembering that he did. remembering we're accepted by God because of the perfect life of Jesus and that, that Jesus lived in our place. It wasn't just his death that he died in our place, it was his life that he lived in our place so that all of his life would be credited to us and that's what we're choosing to believe in. Every day when you get up, remembering, God, my hope in this life is that I'm accepted and approved by you because Jesus was completely accepted and approved in my place. Remember that we deserve to pay the penalty in our own bodies for the sins that we committed, and we deserve the, the wrath of God for our rebellion, and yet we remember that Jesus took the full penalty of our sins on himself on the cross, and he bore God's wrath for us. And, and what we remember is that because Jesus' body was broken for us, we will not be broken. We will raise to new life eternally because our hope is in Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. We have resurrection hope. So let's believe in the life of Jesus, his body broken for us afresh as we eat this wafer together. Let's eat. Jesus, we profess that so often we are filled with unbelief. We confess that. 
We want to turn away from believing in our own merit, believing in our own effort, looking for approval from others and put our hope in your merit and your approval because of Jesus. Amen. Now in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 11, it says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we take this cup, we are proclaiming something. We are proclaiming that Jesus' shed blood for us has atoned for all of our sins. We're, we're proclaiming that we believe that our covenant with God, is, that we have a covenant with God that is secure because Jesus has secured it through his blood. We're proclaiming that we believe that Jesus was completely acceptable to God, that Jesus paid for all of our sins, that all of our covenant breaking has already been punished in Jesus. And so now we have a covenant that's secure. And so let's take this cup and drink this in remembrance of Jesus and proclaim that he is our light. He's our salvation. He's our hope for eternal life. Let's drink together. Amen. Let's pray and then let's stand and sing as the band goes out and comes up. Father God, we come to you and we, we confess our unbelief. But thank you, Father, that you punished all of our unbelief in punishing your son Jesus for us. You, you punished Jesus not just for our sins, but for our unbelief as well. And so no punishment for us remains. Our hope, God, is that Jesus took our place in every way. And so now, Lord, I pray that you would enable us to believe in your son, Jesus, anew. Believe that Jesus is your son, that he is the perfect one. He is the one who came to give us you. He came as light. He came to show the way to you. He came to reveal you. He came that we might know you, God. He came that we might be reconciled to you. So God, I pray that you would enable us to believe, Jesus, that you have reconciled us to God. Enable us to believe each day that we have hope for every day because God now looks at us, at all those who put our, put our faith in you, Jesus, he looks at us as, as sons and daughters, completely acceptable, completely happy with us. God, help us believe what you say is true about us, that you're completely satisfied with us because you're completely satisfied with Jesus, that you are completely happy with us because you've been completely happy with Jesus' death and resurrection, his life for us. Help us believe that. Help us have fresh faith each and every day. Help us believe in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing. Yeah.
best places I will call Incline your ear to me anew And hear my cry for mercy Were you to count my sinful ways How could I come before your throne
There are many things that compete for our attention, our affections, for watching the news cycle. They've got plenty of things that we think we should be anxious about. And if we find ourselves awake in the night, there are plenty of things we don't need to be fed to us that can be causing our hearts to trouble, worry. We had a great reminder this morning that what we believe in, who we believe in, really matters. The world has their things that they think are the solutions to these things, whether it's a vaccine or a political candidate. They have different saviors they put before us. Friends, there is no substitute. Who we believe in and specifically what we believe about him makes all the difference. Will we see him for who he is, for what he has declared himself to be, that he is worth our trust, worth our faith, in the darkness, in the night, in sickness, in turmoil, will we look to him? He is our answer. Let's pray that God would help us to trust in him alone. Lord, would you help direct our gaze? As we begin this new year, may we be aware that you are our only hope. Lord, sometimes you send relief. Sometimes you provide help through various earthly means. But those things are never the solution. Lord, you alone are where our hope must lie. For the light and life that comes from you is eternal. It will never end. So would you help us to not run after temporary band-aids to the problems that we face? Would you help us to look to you and point those around us to you? in all that we face in this new year. We pray that you would help us to do this and that you would be glorified in it. In your mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, welcome to 2021. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us for those who are at home and joining us online. As I mentioned at the beginning, we have a new ladies' study beginning in just over a week from now. So please click on the banner or go to the page in our ministry section and sign up for that. They'll be studying Acts. There's a Tuesday morning in-person option and a Thursday evening Zoom option for that. Um, And also just save the date for the 31st. We'll be back here in the evening that night to have a time of, of worship and fellowship and dessert that we'll share then. We will see you in care groups this week and back here next Sunday. You're dismissed. So we celebrate this season where God gave the greatest gift to us in Jesus Christ dying on the cross to redeem us. And that was sufficient, and that was glorious, but 
it wasn't the only thing that Christ has given to us. And as he left the apostles there in Jerusalem waiting for the gifts, he said, wait. And one of the greatest gifts that he's given to us as his church is the pastors that we have. So Matt, could you come up here and, and join us and let's thank them for what they, how they have served us so well by bringing God's word to us, by helping us follow in him. So let's just uh, bring uh, some, a clap offering to them for all the love that they've shown. We also celebrate this morning another gift he's given, and that's the gift he's given to all of you of generosity. Um, this has been a hard year for all of us, and so we, we've taken up a, a gift for the pastors, and, and for me, it's always a blessing because I get to see the love of, of you all for these pastors that we have, but I, I was amazed this year, in this hard year, that this is one of the biggest years of giving that we've had. And it's just amazing to me how God has just given to this church a gift, that gift of generosity to help us encourage the world, to help us encourage one another, and to build each other up into the full stature of Christ. So I just want to thank you all for the gifts that you've given and the joy that you are able to provide, that our pastors can truly uh, know that we love them and that we honor them doubly, as the Bible calls us to do, because they are faithful to bring us the word. So thank you all for that, too.